Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic today on the show. Good friend of the program, James Edwards, is here continuing our series of off-season recaps. We are going to go with the Central Division now. That's going to be Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, Indiana, Milwaukee. James is here, and we're going to talk about all of those teams. I'm getting James like five minutes after Hamdou Diallo resigned uh, with the Detroit Pistons, so his life got a little bit frantic, a little bit quick here. How's it going, James? It's going well, yeah. Like I told you before we started recording, everything's been good until you try to take somebody somewhere or do something that normal people get to do at 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. And, um, of course, out of all the times Hamadou could have resigned, it's when you're 30, 40 minutes away from your computer. But that's the nature of the business. And I should have known. I, even though it's late, it's mid-August, I should have still just taken my computer with me. I, I I'll never be able to escape it. No, no, you're never going to be able to escape it. I, uh, when this gets recorded, I will be off for two weeks and will have not thought about basketball for at least a week by the time I think this gets released. I don't know when I'll release that. I think it'll probably be in the second week, um, of my vacation. So I could not be more excited to get away from basketball for two weeks as much as I love it and as much as I really genuinely love working. It's been like 18 months. We needed a break here. Yes, sir. I'm taking. Yeah, I'm taking at least a week after tomorrow, maybe two. I'm with you, and I'm thinking about doing it for the first time taking Twitter off my phone. I think I can do it now that Hami's that Hami has signed because I think Detroit is done. Um, See, it'll be funny until they wave somebody because I have I have told our editors Sergio uh, Sergio Gonzalez, who's like genuinely like maybe the best person I've ever worked with. Shout out to Sergio. I love Sergio. Yeah. Interpersonally, communication-wise, not just like a great boss, but like a friend and someone who is legitimately just like the best person on planet Earth. A great person. Genuinely great person. And I was like, yeah, like I'm planning on not opening my laptop unless Damian Lillard or Ben Simmons or like Bradley Beal or some shit, like unless one of these guys gets traded. And he was like, even then you are not opening your laptop. And I was like... Sergio, you and I both know that I don't have that kind of self self control. Uh, <laughs> if something like that happens, I'll be around. <laughs> um, That's yeah. It's just the nature of how we operate. When you're kind of stuck in this, as you know, Sam, this machine, like you don't want to feel left out. Of That's anything, right, especially of that magnitude. Yeah, yeah. Really, like if if say the Detroit Pistons trade like Sadiq Bay for some ungodly reason. Like they're not going to do it, but like say they would, right? I probably wouldn't come back for that. Like I'd be like, you know what? That's fine. Whatever. Like James is great. He'll handle it. And you know, and that would ruin my whole vacation. Yeah. I'm sure other people handle it. I don't need to be around for that, but Dame Ben Simmons, etc. That's when you'll see me come around for sure. Okay. Well, I hope so, that doesn't happen, Ben. Enjoy enjoy the break. <laughs> I hope it doesn't happen either. Okay, so let's talk. Uh, I know we only have like 40 minutes here. So let's talk about the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls signed and traded for Lonzo Ball, gave him a four-year, right around $80 million is what it came in at uh, when it was filed, according to Spotrack. Uh, for, and they traded Tomas Sadoransky, Garrett Temple, and a second-round pick in order to stay over the cap when signing and trading for Lonzo Ball. 
They signed and traded for DeMar DeRozan, gave him a three-year, $85 million deal, sending Thaddeus Young, Al Farouk Aminu, a first and a second round pick to San Antonio. They signed Alex Crusoe to a four-year, $37 million deal. They signed Tony Bradley to a minimum contract. They re-signed Javante Green. They drafted Io DeSumo and gave him a two-year deal. And then they signed Marco Simonovic, their second-round pick from last season, gave him a three-year contract. Overall, I think Chicago had a really good offseason. I understand the consternation that some people have for this offseason, just in terms of limiting flexibility long term and potentially topping them out as like a four seed in the East. But I think that when you're Chicago, you're really just trying to get back an era of respectability. And that is valuable. And the moves that they made this summer, in my opinion, are going to push them out of the play in range and into like the actual playoffs. And that has value whenever you're in a market like Chicago. I agree a thousand percent. I know a lot of people were given um, the side eye to the DeRozan deal. And I understand it like contractually and, and all that stuff. But this is the first time in a long time I'm genuinely interested in watching the Bulls. Like this, I don't know how good this team is going to be. It could, it could not work. Like you look at it, there's a world in which it doesn't work, but I like want to find out. And I think for Chicago, after so many years of kind of just being blah, I don't know. Blah's, I mean, it is still the Bulls, so people watch. But if you're not a Bulls fan, I don't know many people that would turn on the Bulls. I have had my friends tell me, like, they're interested to see what the Bulls do. And I, yeah. I think that they were just at that point where they needed to, like, have some type of relevancy again. It's just been so long. Yeah, they needed to be relevant again. Like, I, I get the questions about the DeMar DeRozan deal. He's, like, in a vacuum, maybe not worth $27 million anymore, and he's older, so there's a chance that the third year of that deal is not particularly good. I just kind of don't care. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like... I'm with you. I don't care. Uh, he is really good. And I think that the people who have kind of brought him up as this ball dominant, uh, like black hole of basketball, just haven't watched him play the last couple of years. Like you watch him in San Antonio. He was one of, he really has developed as a great passer. This is something that I mentioned late in his Toronto tenure that he was really getting better as a passer. Nobody seemed to believe me then. Uh, it seems like the people who have watched him in San Antonio are starting to believe uh, now that he is a, an actual passer. Like, you can throw him the ball on a second-side action. He can get into the paint, and he makes high-level kick-out passes. He makes high-level yeah. dump-off passes. He's a really good pick-and-roll playmaker for a team that needs secondary creation next to Zach Levine in the backcourt. Lonzo Ball is a transition like, you know, out on the break, grab and go. We're going to get the offense going guy. And he's a great floor spacer in the half court and he's good defensively. He does a lot of different stuff. And I think that's a great signing for them too. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Zach Levine needs help though, in terms of creating offense. And I think that Nikola Vucevic is going to work as a really good pick and roll partner for both of those guys. They're going to have 48 minutes of really high level offensive creation out on the court now because you can stagger the Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan minutes. I think this is a home run like offseason for Chicago. The more I think about it, the more 
I really love what they did, even if I do agree with some of the criticism that they may have topped themselves out a bit. But I think that where they topped themselves out was more in trading for Vucevic as opposed to what they did this offseason. This offseason is a reaction to moving Wendell Carter and multiple first-round picks for Nikola Vucevic and trying to keep Zach Levine. But once you do that and decide to go all in on the Vucevic-Levine core, this is the best move that you can make following that move in order to give this core a chance at least. Yeah, I think you what you just said hit the nail on the head. I, I think people – you could read the tea leaves and it was very clear that Chicago last year making the Vucevic deal was tired of being blah and – they weren't very good after the trade, but it was set up for, like we just talked about, to do something this summer and to get the. It was it was a trickle down effect. It was the Vucevic trade was setting the tone for what was going to come this year. That they were going to be trying to be in the playoff picture. That they were going to try to not, like you said, push past the play in and be a playoff team. Um, offensively, they're going to be just a joy to watch. Um, I think it, on paper, it looks like it's could be very fun defensively. Obviously there's questions, um, but you add a, a solid to good defender and Lonzo Pat Williams, I think is ready to take that leap. Um, I think, Le- I think there's a world in which we see more effort from Levine because he may be, I don't know if inspired is the right word. Um, but this is by far the best team he's ever played on. Agree, and watching him at the Olympics, he looked a lot more engaged defensively and was much better there. Yep, so I I like what they did. Um, I understand the team-building aspect and and not trying to put a ceiling on yourself, but in the NBA, for a market like Chicago, that, that logo has so much power and it's just faded away in the background for the last I mean since the peak of Derrick Rose it it was time to make a move and to just be relevant again and if it doesn't work it doesn't work Um, but I think the time was now It, it had just been it's just been too long since anybody's really cared about the Chicago Bulls yeah totally agree uh and then the Lonzo sign in trade, I think, was really, really smart as well. Uh, those are the two big moves and the two big swings they made. Uh, the Lonzo ball and pairing it particularly with uh, Alex Caruso, because the thing that the DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine perimeter core doesn't have necessarily is a high level uh, plus defender. Because even if we yeah. think Levine is going to be improved defensively, he's still probably not going to be much better than average to slightly above average. And I think mm-hmm. that might even be a stretch. Uh, it would take an improvement for him to get to slightly above average for sure. But going out and getting Lonzo Ball, who's a really, really high level off ball playmaker defensively, and going to get Alex Caruso, who I thought had a genuine case to make the all defense team last year in Los Angeles. Those two guys fit really, really well with Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan as backcourt partners. I would think that like you get a lot of three man lineups with that four player, um, you know, group that make a lot of sense and really, really work. Uh, I would imagine they're going to start all of Lonzo, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, but Alex Caruso works with any of those guys on the court and should be a very high level uh, 
complimentary piece for this group. No, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, I like the balance. I like even the subtleness of, of adding a Caruso who, I mean, obviously people know who he is. He played with the Lakers and had his, his meme moments and all that stuff. But like it's, to your average casual basketball fan, it's a subtle move, but it's a good move. It, it, it fills a void for Chicago. Like you said, he can play w- with any of those guys. He adds a, um, a I mean, he's a, a top tier. Def- he's a top notch defender. And yeah. that was something that was missing, something they needed. Uh, I, obviously, they're not going to be this, a super deep team, um, but having loading up on guards and being able to stagger, I think, is going gonna, is gonna to kind of disguise that a little bit. And I, again, I just like what they did. Um, I'm, I'm more so than anything, ex- I'm interested in figuring out what it looks like and, and just monitoring that team for, the, for a whole year because I think it could be fun. Well, let's be real about the Caruso thing, too. Like, I think a lot of non-Lakers fans, they see the excitement about Caruso and see, like, the memes and see, oh, he's just like the white dude with the headband, like, who plays for the Lakers, right? Like, Alex Caruso is this athletic dude who defends his ass off and like genuinely is a real high-level NBA player. He is not a meme. Uh, I like I think that some of the uh, hype goes off the rails a little bit sometimes, but he's a good player. Like I, I get why Lakers fans were excited, and everything in that Lakers orbit is going to get overrated on some level. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that this team is going to be really good. I think that they are above the play-in level this year. I think they are much closer to the Boston Celtics in terms of talent than... I was going to say that. I was going to use Boston as a reference. I totally agree. Yeah, than like what they're getting credit for. Uh, like they, This team just makes sense. Uh, I think they make a lot of sense offensively as a top seven-ish offense in the league. And if they can figure out what to do defensively, and Billy Donovan does have a pretty good track record of figuring out defensive schemes that make sense... Look, I think this is going to be a really good team. Uh, the question I ask at the end of every team that we do is, did this team get better or worse this offseason? I think Chicago got undeniably better, uh, and I think it was a worthwhile endeavor for them to use the capital they needed to in order to get better. Agreed across the board, man. Yeah, it's it's funny. People look at DeRozan's contract and kind of, like you said, at the, the top of the show and just kind of forget how good he was. I specifically last year and how improved he was and people are going to get an awakening when when they hit the floor if everybody's healthy I think we're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN. If you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it, 
So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. In between the Cleveland and Chicago sections, I'm just going to make a quick note of the Larry Nance deal that happened over the weekend involving Larry Markkinen and the Chicago Bulls. So I don't really want to belabor this to the point that I did on the Northwest Division podcast because we talked about it uh, for about eight or nine minutes on that show. And I, I don't know that we need to really delve deep, but I figure it's worth noting, given that there are probably some fans here uh, just of the Bulls and Cavaliers that are probably wondering why I didn't discuss these. Obviously, these podcasts were pre-recorded, So let's just kind of dive in really quickly with Chicago, given that we just talked about Chicago. So uh, it's a little bit surprising to me that they didn't just want Larry Nance uh, as the sign and trade player and instead decided to go get a first. But I think that going and getting a first actually does open up some real trade avenues for them because they're no longer bound by Stepien rules uh, that had them pretty over a barrel in regard to trade flexibility moving forward after the trades for Nikola Vucevic and DeMar DeRozan. So just from a flexibility perspective, I understand it. I will note very briefly, uh, I think Larry Nance would have helped Chicago quite a bit. Uh, he's the kind of flexible defensive asset in the front court that uh, this team needs. They could have used him very similarly to how they used Thaddeus Young last year as kind of a small ball five. I, I kind of like that idea. H having said that, I think that this deal is a bigger deal for the Cavaliers than it is for Chicago. And as I mentioned in the Northwest Division podcast, I think there's a case to be made that Lowry Markinen and Larry Nance, it, it makes sense to go with Markinen over Nance, if only from a shooting perspective, because this Cavaliers team desperately needs shooting, and from an age timeline perspective. But I can't keep like from helping myself in thinking that 
essentially what happened here was the Cavaliers traded a better player who was making less money over the next two years in Larry Nance, who, by the way, like genuinely wanted to be there. Like he seemed to really embrace and love Cleveland in a real way uh, for a worse player making more money now, given that Lowry Markinen's deal starts at $15.6 million uh, over the next three years. And then has, I believe that John Hollinger reported a $6 million guarantee in that fourth year of the deal. So I think, I think that that's where I'm struggling a little bit. It is just, and I'm going to keep in the section that James and I recorded on Cleveland because we dive deeply into the idea of signing Jarrett Allen for big money just moments essentially after drafting Evan Mobley and why that's not something I would have done. I feel the same about Lowry Markinen, if only because what this marketing deal has done is it locks them into even more money long-term into the front court because marketing is a four or five. You can't play him at the three. He doesn't have the mobility defensively to do that. And, and I guess that you can make the case that it now allows them to bring Evan Mobley along slowly, but I don't see this team as a playoff contender. I think that you're going to want to play Evan Mobley and get as many minutes into him as he can. And by the way, I think he's probably going to be better than Jared Allen immediately anyway, uh, even with the lack of strength that he has. So you've essentially locked in 15 to $16 million a year uh, on Lowry Markinen after locking in $20 million a year flat over the next five years on Jared Allen. And that's $36 million locked up in your front court on top of the Kevin Love deal that, I mean, it seems like Kevin Love is not long for this roster at this point, but even if he gives back 10 million, let's say it still means that there's 50 million over the next two years, something like that on this roster uh, that they're going to have to deal with on their cap sheet uh, over the next two years. And that's if they choose not to stretch him over the next five years, which would mean an even longer uh, situation to deal with, with the Kevin Love uh, contract. And I, I just would not prolong the sadness on this. I, I would just uh, rip the bandaid off and, you know, get as much back as you can on the buyout and move forward. But it just, again, it seems like Cleveland continues to just go and get these tall guys that aren't very flexible and versatile within the modern game uh, in Jared Allen and in Lowry Markinen, because while they're good players, they just are guys that we don't know how effective they're going to be in playoff basketball at the end of the day. And we don't know how effective Colin Sexton and Darius Garland are going to be in playoff basketball at the end of the day. So everything you're about to hear in terms of my questions uh, regarding Cleveland's direction with James Edwards, that still stands uh, at this point with the Cavs. I didn't really love this move for them to go out and get Lowry Markinen. Uh, and it just continues to follow the trajectory of Cleveland moves that I haven't really understood. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just like totally missing what Kobe Altman's vision is here. And on some level, it's been a while since Cleveland has been able to attract good players. So going out and being able to convince Lowry Markinen to sign this offer sheet and then negotiate a sign and trade with Chicago, like that's a win for Cleveland on some level. 
it's just the big picture that I still struggle to really navigate. And even small picture, uh, looking at the just micro of this, I'm really struggling a little bit to uh, navigate my thoughts on moving Larry Nance for Lowry Markkinen, given that Nance wanted to be there and that he's a better player than Markkinen. Here's the rest of the Cleveland conversation with James Edwards. All right, let's go to Cleveland. They yep. The big one is that they drafted Evan Mobley. They still haven't made a decision yet on the Colin Sexton uh potential extension or anything like that so it's possible that could happen at some point in the next couple weeks look i think that anything you know if they could get them to 480 or less it's probably a win if anything over 497 which is what terry rosier got i think is probably a questionable deal because i don't even really love the rosier deal um I'll just like kind of say that in case something happens in the next couple of weeks, but they signed Jarrett Allen to a five year, $100 million deal. And they traded Tory and Prince for Ricky Rubio. Uh, and I believe they moved a second round pick within that deal to get Rubio. This is just going to be just kind of a shorter one because they didn't do a ton, <laughs> yeah. but I've gotten a lot of flack for saying that I don't think I would personally want to be the executive that, pays Jarrett Allen five years, $100 million. It's not that I think he's a bad player. I think he's basically the line for what is like a league average starting center in today's NBA. And I just don't know that I want to pay my league average starting center a $100 million contract at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't know if the confidence is there that you're going to get your bang for your buck. Yeah, I th- I, like I... I don't think that really has a chance of being a plus value deal. Uh, exactly. Just like looking at what Stephen Adams got, like everyone complained about the Stephen Adams uh, two year, $36 million extension last year that he got from New Orleans. And part of that was team fit, right? Uh, he's not the best fit with Zion Williamson necessarily. And I get that. But like Steven Adams, I think, is a better overall player than Jared Allen. I, I get that Jared Allen can finish above the rim at a better level than what Steven Adams can, and the counting numbers look a little bit better for Jared Allen. But I think Steven Adams is a much better overall defender than what Jared Allen yep. is. And if we're like asking, I would rather have Steven Adams right now than Jared Allen. Jared Allen's 23 years old, but... To lock in to a center for five years, $20 million, and you know me personally evaluating Jared Allen as not really having a chance to be like an all-NBA type center, probably be an all-star type center. Like I still think Larry Nance is a better player than Jared Allen. Um, it's just like it's a little bit tough for me, I guess, to wrap my head around that deal. No, and I, I get where you're coming from. I like Jared Allen, but I wouldn't have been – I wouldn't have – I feel like if I'm in those shoes, Kobe Altman's shoes, I wouldn't have done five for a hundred uh, because yeah. of the reasons you said. I don't know if I'm going to get my bang for my buck. I don't know if it's going to be a positive contract. I don't see him as an all-star ever. Um, I think there are better options out there for what the Cavs could use in terms of, like you mentioned, in comparison to Steven Adams, like defensively for much cheaper. Um but like, like, like you could I, get Robin Lopez for one year, yeah. five million dollars on the market this year. Jared Allen's better than Robin Lopez, but I don't know that he's like drastically better than Robin Lopez. 
Agreed. Like I, I would like I would go somebody like Nerlens Noel for super cheap, right? And I would have uh, a rim running big who can defend. Like I, that would have been fine for me. Yeah, Nerlens Noel essentially got a two year, eighteen million dollar deal this summer. Like he got a third year team option uh, for like ten million. But the, that deal, he's out in two years, eighteen if it doesn't work. Yep. Nerlens is pretty damn close to as effective as. Jared Allen is right now, especially when you account for defensive flexibility that Nerlens provides uh, away from the rim. He's just as good of a rim protector, if not, he's actually a better rim protector, I think, than what Jared Allen is. Uh, maybe not quite the rebounder in terms of controlling the defensive glass, but I mean, much better, much more impactful, I think, defensively than what Jared Allen is, even if, again, he doesn't necessarily have that, like, rim running and, like, gravitational threat offensively that Jared has. No, we're, we're in lockstep with that. And I just, for many years, not many years, but the last few years, I kind of just look at his Cavs roster and, like, Evan Mobley's kind of the first guy that... I, I I really like that they got like I I still don't love the Garland the what is it Sexland I don't love that backcourt yeah I don't I like Darius Garland a lot and I like Colin I like Sexton Garland. I don't like, like a reasonable amount it, exactly. yeah I don't like the pairing yeah I don't like the pairing I thought it was weird when they got Garland having had Sexton but I know you like Garland more fine figure it out down the line but it seems like there's a chance they keep Sexton um, it's not out of the cards obviously and. I don't know if a Coro can reach a positive offensive ceiling. Um, the Kevin Love situation's looming. What do you do with Larry Nance? Is a guy that could get you something? Like I just, I think they're still straddling the line of like, yeah, we're clearly rebuilding, but like we're kind of stuck with some some vets, and it wouldn't be. I just don't like the team. I don't like the direction. It's just very muddy over there, and it has been for a few years. Well, and by the time a lot of the money comes off the books, because they've given Jared Allen this money, if they decide to give Colin Sexton his money as well, they're going to be pretty expensive again, like on top of the they're going to be expensive without having open like real cap space with flexibility to be able to go out and like rent out the cap space for first round picks and assets to be able to build that way or like. Look, Cleveland's not like the sexiest free agency market, obviously, but you know maybe you can find a fit that works for you in free agency. Like I, I just wouldn't want to lock in my roster uh, at this early stage of their development. But you know, I think a lot of these pieces are f- flexible enough in the trade market to where, at least right now, to where they can kind of rearrange on the fly if they have to. Yeah, and like the other part of the Jared Allen move is too, like I understand that you don't want Evan Mobley playing center. Like, you know, it it's summer league this year. You know, Evan Mobley got pushed around. Yep. But you just gave Jared Allen a five-year contract I mean, Evan Mobley probably should be playing the center position by year three of that five-year contract to Jared Allen. So you have three extra years of Allen, and they're probably both going to be centers in an NBA that's downsizing. And again, like I'm a little bit worried about if that Allen deal is an actual asset 
as opposed to something you have to like get off of uh, or just something that doesn't return you much in terms of right. the trade. So I, I don't know. Look, it, it's yeah. I, I understand like why I, Cleveland did it. Like Cleveland needs to retain talent on some level, but this is kill the value of that talent by handing out a massive contract. Yeah, or you could have just kept the late first round pick that you moved that, yeah. for Jared Allen um, right. and gotten like a cheap young player who wasn't about to get $20 million on your cap sheet. I, you know, like, look, we're, we're kind of parsing and going in um, circles a little bit. I, I don't love the way that this roster is built. I don't love the way that Kobe Altman has operated for a while now. How much of it is Kobe Altman? How much of it is like the ownership group? I don't know, but it's yeah. like, I don't, I don't love the way that Cleveland is building their roster. I don't, they still don't have any wings that can shoot really. Not right. Like, like, yeah. Like I it just, the roster just, it, the NBA is going bigger in the backcourt and smaller up front and they're doing the opposite. And it always it always kind of reminded me. I remember Stan Van Gundy said this when the Pistons made the trade for Blake. It's like somebody asked him about the league going smaller. He's like, "Yeah, well, teams are going to have to adapt to us." And it's like the Mobley doesn't happen. Pick I get and I love. I love Evan Mobley, and I yeah. that's totally fine. It's just him with Jarrett is a little. It's it's you want like you said earlier. You want Evan to eventually be the center. Yeah, um, that's where you get his NBA. most marginal value. Exactly. And then you look at the backcourt, and it's like, I like Garland. And I, I don't dislike Sexton. I like Sexton for a certain price, but it's just, it's such a small backcourt. And it's just a very, it's just a weirdly pieced together team. And it, and it's, I mean, we were saying that even before the Evan Mobley pick, which, as much as we love Mobley, it made the team even more weird. Um, it's just yeah. a weird roster. And um, I, I'm very curious. Like, I, I think it would be. There's no way I, I I would just trade Sexton. I would if if you I think get I something would back. And and it's primarily because you don't want to like you said be tied to all this money and you're not sure if your team's any good. Yep. I I mean I'm, vo- I'm voting no. They're not very good. I don't feel confident that they would safely play a team in the next unless Mobley's just the greatest ever in the next 4 years. Yeah, look, I, I would hope they make the playoffs in the next four years, but like, I, would uh, so, but I wouldn't put money on it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's. I think that he's a couple years away from being great. I do think Evan Mobley is going to be great, and I don't have a problem with the pick. It, it's more the decision making around the pick. Um, exactly. I, I don't think this team is going to be much better next year. Like they won twenty two. They went twenty two and fifty, so they won the equivalent of like let's say twenty six games and a. 82 game season I, I don't think they're going to be much better than that this year I really don't I'm with you, uh, if, you um, if we do the the at the end of the every team do they get better I mean Evan Mobley adding Evan Mobley doesn't hurt anybody but yeah. I don't think they got better for next season I agree yeah the, the answer is like yes I guess they got better but did they get marginally better as compared to the rest of the east I do not think so no. Nope. Um, let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be back. All 
All right, we're up on the team that James covers, the Detroit Pistons. They drafted Cade Cunningham, as well as Isaiah Livers, Luca Garza, and Balsha Kopravica. Oh, boy. Uh, they signed Kelly Olenek to a three-year, $37 million deal. They signed Corey Joseph to a two-year, $10 million deal. They re-signed Hamadou Diallo to a two-year, $10 million deal. They signed Frank Jackson to a two-year, $6 million deal. They signed Trey Lyles to a minimum contract. They signed Saban Lee to a three-year deal. They signed Rodney Magruder to a minimum deal. And they traded Mason Plumlee to get off of his contract. Uh using the 37th overall pick and bringing back that dear sweet Balsha Koprovica pick. Uh, James, did I miss anything there? They had a, they had a busy offseason. No, you, you got everything. Yeah, Troy went into the offseason telling us that he was just going to bring back his players, and that's what he did. Sands, I mean, obviously Olenek wasn't, but other than that, everybody else was, and Trey, everybody else was on the roster last year. So this is weird insofar as they made a lot of moves and they got their centerpiece, right? Yep. But like it's it's in it's a very consequential offseason because they got Cade Cunningham and because like they now have their key building block. Yep. I, I don't know yep. that it was like a particularly interesting offseason to talk about. Like it was just a it was a smart offseason for Detroit, I thought. They handled their no. business. I think the big thing with Detroit, and I mean, the, the, they've always kind of thrown out bits and pieces of this happening, and, and this that this was going to how it was. This is how it would play out. It's their eyes are on next year's free agency, and the year after that, they have I, Blake's money comes off the books after this year. They have a ton of cap space. Um, I think what was important for them was getting Lotto luck and getting that centerpiece. Um, using this year as another development year to get him adjusted, um, Sadiq, Isaiah, Killian. It's essentially the same roster. You're just trading the vertical threat of Mason Plumley for a floor spacer in Kelly Olynyk. So they're losing a true rim-running big, and Mason wasn't the best in the world at that, but he was serviceable yeah. for a floor spacer who shot the hell out of the ball with the Rockets. Um so this is going to be another, like, they're not going to come out. I don't think they'll come out and say that they want to make the play-in. I think they'll say if they make the play-in, great, because that means something probably went right with yep. a few of their young players. And if they don't, that that's that's fine, too, because they could use some more talent. So I think they're in a good position where there's still no expectations. The city is excited because there's actually, like, something to get behind. And they have a ton of cap space coming up, and Troy – Aside from being a great talent evaluator, part of his appeal to the organization was he has great relationships with players around the league. So yep. um, I think this year was going to be another let's just roll the dice, see what happens. And if we do well, great. It's That means something went well. And if not, well, we can load up, make some decisions on some of the young guys and uh, get in some veterans here to, to start going for something substantial in the next year or two. I saw some people complain about the Kelly Olenek deal, and I was like, why? Like, he's yeah. he's good at basketball, and they need <laughs> floor spacers to help Cade yeah. Cunningham develop. Like, this is a completely reasonable contract to give someone like Kelly Olenek, who can really shoot the basketball and play both the four and the five to an extent, but you're probably going to play him more at the five. Having said that, you can't. 
can play him, I think, with Isaiah Stewart, and they can kind of share responsibilities based off of the matchups that you have. I'm a big fan. I I think it was a really smart developmental move for the Detroit Pistons, and I don't think they're going to have problems getting off of that contract unless Kelly Olynyk gets hurt and then like can't defend anybody ever again. Um, right. Yeah, just I, I thought this was like a smart offseason. Um, they got Diallo on a reasonable deal, two years, $10 million. Uh, that happened literally right as like we started Second recording. Second year team option. Second year team option. That's a great deal. Um, I liked what I saw from Saban Lee last year. Uh, Luca Garza, I, I'll be honest, I thought it was insane that he made second team all summer league, but at the end of the day, he was a great second round pick at summer league. I thought he played really, really well offensively, looked like a potential stretch big. Uh, I think Isaiah Livers has a shot to be a real floor spacer as a uh, wing at six foot seven to space the floor next to Cade Cunningham. They're building a roster that makes sense next to Cade as he is in his developmental years, and that's that's really all you can ask for from Detroit at this that's, point, right? Yep. Detroit has gotten itself in trouble um, over the last decade plus by trying to um, speed up the process. This rebuild that they really started last year should have started many years ago, probably. Um, and now they are here and they're being patient and it's worked out. I mean, you get the number one pick in a, in a great draft. You hit on, I think we would all agree, two of the three last year with one still up in the air. Um, Saban Lee looks like he could be at minimum a long time backup point guard at minimum. Yep. Um, and that the second round pick, Isaiah Livers, I agree with you, seems to be a long time floor spacer. So Dwayne Casey was pleading for shooting. They got three shooters in this year's draft. Sadiq Bay last year, Isaiah Stewart has the potential to be a, a floor spacer with more time. They're building the roster the right way. They're being patient. And I think that is all Detroit fans have wanted for quite some time. Uh, did they get better? Yes, they got better, if only because they have Cade Cunningham now. And Cade <laughs> exactly. Cunningham is a star. Uh, yeah. Let's go to Indiana. Indiana had a quiet offseason because their big addition was firing Nate Bjorkren and bringing in Rick Carlisle, which is about as good of a coaching upgrade as any team will have this offseason they traded Aaron Holiday and pick number 31 in order to draft Isaiah Jackson at number 22 they drafted Chris Duarte they re-signed TJ McConnell to a four-year 34 million dollar deal and they traded Doug McDermott in a future second in order to open a trade exception uh, which I think should be somewhere in the ballpark of like 13 to 14 million Uh, this was just a solid you know, we're running it back off season because we think our coach was an absolute nightmare last year, and we think we have talent and want to see what that talent is. Yeah, like it's nothing to to get excited about if you if you thought that the Pacers were poorly coached, which it, it, from all accounts they were, and they had a decent roster, which I think they do. They should be for sure in the play-in range, maybe a solidified playoff team. I, I like the roster. You're getting T.J. Warren back this year. Um, I'm a Karis LeVert guy. 
just hope he stays healthy. I still think there's something to be done there with Miles Turner. Um, I I like Miles, and I'm surprised that a team. I mean, Boston's always the team that's kind of linked with him. Hasn't gone for him. Um, yeah. Or if they did and didn't get, I don't know. Danny Ainge is always so close to getting guys. Um, I, I, I like the team. I I think that Turner eventually gets traded at some point this season, but I don't know. I, I, I think there's, I don't know, it's the Pacers. You always want to doubt them, and then they end up winning 44 games, 43 games. And I feel like this team could easily win mid-40s games. Uh, I don't see them losing. I don't see them winning, barring injury, like, 32 or less. Well, here's the thing. So I agree generally with the construct of running this back to see what works with Rick Carlisle and what doesn't. I do think that more than any team in the league, they are probably set up for midseason trades because Agreed. there are guys like Malcolm Brogdon. There are guys like Karis LeVert. TJ Warren is an expiring year i believe brogdon is also an expiring this year uh they have the miles turner to Sabonis situation there are just a lot of different factors that could confluence together to where after rick carlisle gets a feel for what he has gets a feel for what he likes what will work in the scheme they could make some moves in order to just kind of change up the shaping of this roster because it does need a shake up. Like I understand yeah. if if uh, Pacers fans, I'm sorry, are a little bit frustrated with a lack of inaction in regard to shaking up this roster. But I, I think that I'm cool with them kind of deciding, Hey, let's see what we've got early in the season. Let's see if it was just like total coaching malpractice last year that, made us fail and have a losing record, not make the playoffs. And if it doesn't work, we'll be mobile and we'll be flexible and adjust on the fly. No, I, you hit the nail on the head again. I think it is worth figuring out if getting a, not only um, getting rid of the previous coach, but upgrading to one of the best coaches in the league uh, for a roster that is a solid roster. Like I like a lot of the guys on here and yep. figuring out is if this works, cool, let's roll with it. And we'll get the we'll be the perennial Pacers where we're right there, six seven seed, and frustrate somebody in the playoffs, and we'll see what happens from there. And then if that doesn't work out, you have interesting pieces that teams would want. Like I would think, if it doesn't work, out, I think Karis LeVert would be somebody of interest to like somebody like Detroit. Uh, they yep. have a lot of Michigan people in that front office. Uh, they could use uh, a two guard. Um, Mark, Malcolm Brogdon is who doesn't like Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, and Miles Turner again. I I know people are a little bit more down on him as the years go on, but he's still a very good basketball player. So there's a lot of things they can do. But I agree. The first thing that they need to try is let's just find out if a coach change propels to the the tier we want to be at or or fine being at. I should say. Yeah. Did they get better off season? Yes, they got better because they hired Rick Carlisle. Did they get better on the court this offseason? No, they didn't. Like, they, they bring in Chris yeah. Duarte, who I think is going to be helpful. Like, I think he's going to be able to play immediately. But give, did they get back TJ Warren? Yeah, like, did they get drastically better? Probably not, but they will win more games next year. 
Uh, Did they get better on paper? No. Did they get better in reality? Yeah, this is going to be a better team next year for sure, I think. Agreed. Okay, last team here. The Milwaukee Bucks, your NBA champions. They re-signed Bobby Portis. They traded for Grayson Allen with Sam Merrill and two second-round picks. They drafted Sandro Mamukelishvili and Yorios Kalitzaitis or Kalitzakis. I'm sorry. Uh, I always, always fuck his name. I have up. no. I, I defer to you on that one. <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah, Kalitzakis was a was a choice on draft night. We'll go with that. Um, Rodney Hood got signed in the hopes that he can regain some of the form that made us excited about him early in his career. Uh, they signed Shimmy Ojale to a uh, minimum contract. They signed George Hill to a two-year $8 million deal, and they re-signed Thanasis Antetokounmpo, uh, I believe, to like a two-year five-and-a-half, $6 million deal. Uh, yeah, this, this team did what an NBA champion does. They essentially ran it back. They replaced Bryn Forbes with George Hill. Uh, you know, they bring in Shemi Ojale, who can kind of act, I think, as a bit of a low usage potential defensive, you know, guy on forwards that will in some level replace PJ Tucker. They got Bobby Portis. Yeah, they brought Bobby Portis back in order to, um, you know, kind of shore up that center position, take a flyer. I like the on a- Grayson trade. Yeah, I really liked that move for them. I thought it made sense for them at a high level. I thought that move made sense for both teams, but I thought it really made sense for Milwaukee to go out and get a guy that can be helpful this year in Grayson Allen. Uh, and hope Rodney Hood still has something left in the tank after all of the injuries have kind of uh, knocked him off of the NBA radar almost entirely, it feels like at this point. Man, he was, when he was with Utah back in like the mid 2010s, he Balling. looked like. He looked like he was going to be a genuine, like potential high level player in the NBA. So, um, Phil, yeah, yeah, I hope he, I hope he regains some of that because he was fun to watch those Utah teams. And there was that run, I forget what year, uh, I don't remember what year, but there was, yeah, I mean, we, there were Rodney Hood moments, and it'd be cool to see him again. And it's a low risk, medium reward. Like it's, I think that's, a, I like that signing. I like that. I like, I like the Grayson Allen move, getting a guy who you know can be an NBA player. Had to bring back Bobby or Milwaukee would riot. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I have a question. My biggest worry for the Bucks. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, is they did it. They only, in my mind, in it just the feel of it, they just had to get it done once. Obviously, they're going to try to repeat. But the pressure to get that one is gone. And I just wonder if that hunger is going to be there. I, I, I don't think it's going to be there this year without a significant roster shakeup, which they didn't have. So, so the hunger thing doesn't worry me as much because I think that Giannis is just like a force of personality in terms of like driving an organization forward. Uh, I I don't think he's going to be satisfied with one. And I think that like Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, like those guys aren't going to be satisfied with one. Where I'm a little bit worried with Milwaukee is just burnout at this point. They have, they played a long season. We're getting a shortened off season again this year. 
Then Chris Middleton and Drew went to play in the Olympics, so their offseason was even shorter than what you typically get. Uh, I'm not sure if Dante DiVincenzo is really going to get an offseason due to his injury. Uh, what does Do they potentially just look, look a little bit burnt out next year? I, I think is kind of where I'm at. That was kind of, I guess, part of my point, too. Like, a culmination of being burnt out to the point where it's like, if things aren't going great to start, like, they're going to be in the playoffs no matter what. But I'm saying, like, or maybe if things get tough in the playoffs, they're just burnt out. It's like, well, we got one. We, we got, like, maybe you just don't see the the game seven against the Nets, or you don't see the um, gateway game against Atlanta. Uh, four, three. I just wonder if you, not that they won't try, but just a combination of being burnt out and maybe just that in the back of your mind. Well, I'm tired, man, and we we got one. I just wonder if if that could creep in um, in pressure situations this year, unlike last year where they were just poised and hungry and had been in big moments before um, and and kind of smelt blood in the water. So I, I agree. I think the burnout thing is a big thing, and I. I should have prefaced my theory with with that as well because I do think that's part of the factor in maybe some of the hunger. Individually, these guys are hungry. Like nobody questions Drew, Giannis, Chris, but I just I could see if they if they if there's just a little too tired, a little too much exhaustion that maybe you don't push through like you did um, in the summer of 2021. Yeah, or they just might not have the juice to push through. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like That's they, my just, yeah, long-winded way of saying they might not yeah. have the juice. Yeah, like it, it just – they might be – the NBA – they're essentially going to have played three back-to-back long NBA seasons in their case. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the Bucks played, God, how many games this season? They played uh, like long NBA playoff series in the last three series. Like those yeah. were – um, I think they played like 17 games. They, they played like 90 games last year. And then Drew and Chris went and played, what, seven more in the Olympics? Six <laughs> more insane. in the Olympics? I mean, it's it's going to be tough, I think, for them. It's going to be tough for them to bounce back and be good uh, in terms of just energy and recovery because playing in the NBA is really fucking hard. But, well, We'll see. I mean, I think that anytime you have Giannis, Giannis is just a, an incredible driving force in terms of positive energy, uh, in terms of like maybe being a cyborg. Like we, we can't confirm or deny that, that Giannis is a say, cyborg. I'm leaning more toward he definitely is a cyborg. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you brought up the Grayson thing because I, I thought that was a smart move for them to get him uh, for a cheap contract year. And he wasn't bad for... Or uh, for I'm, I'm sorry for Memphis last year. I thought he was pretty useful. Yeah, we we know he's an NBA player. We weren't sure about Sam Merrill yet. I know people yeah. like him, but we weren't sure yet. We know Grayson can play in the NBA, and yeah, I mean, it doesn't hurt to add another floor spacer who's a who's scrappy in his own right. Um, it's just a subtle move that I like. You you replace some of the Bryn Forbes shooting and and add a little bit more size. Um, and the semi ojale like that's not a bad replacement for PJ, who kind of really tailed off um, as the playoffs went on. But uh, I, I liked, I, li- I liked their. They did. They 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 fixed up around the margins. Now the question is, do the big fellas got enough juice to to go do it one more time? Yep, uh, James. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on with you. 
Yeah, I'm at the Athletic. Just go to the Pistons tab, and you will you will find all everything you need regarding Detroit basketball. I'm on Twitter at JL Edwards I I I. Um, yeah, this is I do a podcast, the Bun and Cardigan Show, a Pistons podcast. We drop once a week right now in the off season on Thursdays. I'm also often on Point of Contention, the Athletic podcast, and Basket Buds. So. Yeah, I'm 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 all over here and thank you for having me, Sam. It's always a joy talking to you, man. And your draft coverage as always was immaculate. I don't know how you do it, but you're the best at it. And um you're a very good friend and teammate and just going through draft season, like I always feel I always feel good because I know I got Sam in the back pocket. So if I have any any questions or just anything, I know I got you. So Hope you enjoy this time off, man, because you deserve it. And yeah, uh, well, don't open your laptop, please. That that was far too nice to end. No, uh, that was man, far. Was that was far too many compliments to end uh, end uh, on me with this podcast. We we need to find a way to knock me down a peg before we before we finish this thing. Um, yeah, like like did I like totally fuck up on Jalen Jalen Johnson? Yes, I did. Like Jalen Johnson looked great at summer league. Good God, I uh, may yeah, may but, have may have made a mistake ranking him twenty five. <laughs> but that stuff happens. That's 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 fine. It's it's for me personally. I like going to you because I know you know your stuff. Yeah. You're great at what you do. The information, the stories you put out, we—I mean, we all read them all to, to brush up and to get up to speed. And nobody does it like you, man. You're a machine. You're gonna get well, some. You're gonna get some of that stuff wrong. It it always happens. Oh, it happens. Uh, James, I appreciate that, man. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We will be back at some point uh, this week with another off-season breakdown. Or if this is the last one I release, I'll just be back next week talking about basketball at some point. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.